Today's guest is at Der Gigi, uh, who you can find on Twitter. He is the author of uh, many prolific pieces of writing uh, and a book, 21 Lessons. He has a website where he has put up all of the best resources out there, bitcoinresources.com. And he has his own website, dirtgigi.com, where you can reach out to him, any of these places, and follow him on Twitter and, and get to know him more. Uh, at Der Gigi, thank you for your time today. Hey, Daniel. Thanks for having me. Well, um, I've listened uh, to The 21 Lessons now by Guy Swan uh, about two times and love it every single time. Um, and, and by the way, that I forgot about this. You got that review the other day on Twitter, which I thought was completely, <laughs> completely like, so unfair. Um, and I saw you. <laughs> I'm one of these guys that didn't understand the meme that you put out there. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, I, I know you were getting a lot of like heartfelt responses from people and you, you kind of had to retract and like, guys, it was a meme. Um, I was one of those guys that was straight onto your direct message. Like, don't listen to that guy. <laughs> yeah, it was really heartwarming that uh, the, like, I, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15 people reached out to me directly and said, oh man, don't listen to that review. It was so awesome. Yeah, I, I actually, I was a, a little bit um, sad about getting such a, a harsh and bad review. Um, like he, he went through the trouble of writing, a, I don't know, like a couple hundred word review on Goodreads and it was the first review and it was really devastating in a way. But um, it's, it's perfectly fine, you know. I mean, it's the internet and the internet is doing what it is and you, do, you can't get... Uh, <laughs> just too mad about it or work yourself up about it and in in the reviewer's defense he was also um right about it uh, like um, it, the assessment was spot on because his criticism was that it, it is just a personal journey like the author is just rambling about what he learned from bitcoin and that's literally the the subtitle of the book it's what i what i've learned from bitcoin so <laughs> he's right about that and yeah but um I, I was very happy that so many people reached out to me and uh, the book uh, actually got some good reviews as well on Amazon and I got many uh, tweets which I'm currently trying to collect um, that uh, praised the book and uh, many people seemed to like it. it. It seems to resonate with a lot of um, Bitcoiners or soon to be Bitcoiners. Like it seemed, it seemed to resonate with a lot of people that have been falling down the rabbit hole in the last couple of years. Yeah, and I'm one of those guys. And thank you very much for your writing. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort to put this all together. I think um, when people are criticizing and, uh, and, you know, writing these reviews, don't necessarily take into consideration uh, the bravery behind you actually publishing that. Because, you know, it takes a lot, right, to, to write these things down. And then, hmm, do I actually want people to to see my writing and to to look into my thoughts uh so i thought i thought for one it's very unfair review and, and you know thanks for your work <laughs> thanks yeah it, i i think it's always brave to put yourself out there and um uh, for me it was a bit weird because i'm i'm not a writer like uh, it, it's basically one of the first things i've written was about bitcoin like uh, was actually an, an article about shifting my view on Bitcoin's energy consumption. And um, I've been just continually writing about Bitcoin. And uh, one of the longer pieces is what uh, eventually turned into 21 Lessons. So it was a very gradual progress. And um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's excellent that uh, so many people are actually 
uh, putting themselves out there and are doing podcasts uh, like you do and are also creating content because I think um, looking at Bitcoin from as many different perspectives as possible uh, kind of helps to build up the, the whole picture of what this thing actually is because I'm convinced that you know nobody really understands what Bitcoin is and we are all just trying to explore this new world. I agree. I, I completely agree. And if, if we look at what happened, you know, in the, in the crazy bull run back, um, you know, in 2017, I think you and I are both of the opinion that that is going to happen again. Um, and, you know, rather, rather sharply and probably make that look like a bit of a walk in the park. You know, a lot of people come in at the top and they got a little bit um, wrecked, shall we say, to use that. Um, with three years on, there's way more resources out there now. And I just hope, um, you know, podcasts like, uh, like this pieces like yours. Uh, and I know you do your own podcast. You have a German podcast. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's correct. It's called 21, which is the German word for 21. Ah, very <laughs> good. Very good. Okay. Well, you, you just touched on something then about, um, talking about, uh, switching your mindset around electricity and, when I was doing prep for this call, I, I received a text from a friend of mine. Um, I've been trying to educate around Bitcoin a little bit, and um, I'll just read you the text, and then uh, hopefully you can help us with the answer. Uh, and He says, um, Alan, big shout out to you, Alan. Uh, Yo, Dan, really enjoying the podcasts. Great job. Just finishing the second one now. You have me convinced. Now it's just a matter of convincing my wife. Have you tackled the carbon footprint question or misconception yet? So, Dougie, um, could you like expand on that a little bit and perhaps um, you know explain to Alan exactly what's going on in in that space? Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough question to answer actually because um, it it depends on what level of analysis you want to tackle it uh, because there there are many misconceptions about this and uh, there are many like ways to refute this point. I think what was most helpful for me is that um, Bitcoin's energy consumption is actually not a bug; it's a feature. Like you need something to to um, anchor the digital world into the, the physical world and the the best way we know to do that uh, in in my opinion actually the only way that we know to do that is via energy and it's is it's the way that bitcoin does it and um, once you 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 shift your mindset from energy wasted to energy put to good use um, then a whole lot of a whole lot of the questions that people might have start to disappear. You could also point to the fact that a lot of um, a lot of the energy that Bitcoin actually uses is stranded energy and low cost energy. Like Bitcoin, I, I view it as a living organism that is trying to eat up as much cheap energy as it can, the cheaper the better. And in general, most of the stranded energy um, that Bitcoin uses is um, um, yeah, is I'm not sure if it's mostly, you know, you can dispute the numbers. There are some reports that go into uh, the numbers there. And one of the reports says that up to 74%, I think it was, of the energy is renewable energy. That's because mostly in China, um, the stranded energy is hydroelectric power. And uh, once you dig into that a little deeper, you, you, um, you can maybe understand why a lot of bitcoiners think that it's just a non-issue like there 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 are a lot of there are a lot of um 
technologies also developed that just help to um, yeah, produce the cheapest amount of energy for Bitcoin. And we have, for example, uh, the Ohm uh, company from Steve Barber, I think is his name. Mm -hmm. And yeah. uh, which, uh, like they, they developed Bitcoin miners that you can use to flare excess gas. And um, so you can actually protect the environment by burning off this gas. And um, since there is no better use for it than to mine Bitcoin because energy is uh, notoriously difficult to store and also to, um, yeah, you can't get it into the grid because it's just too far away. Uh, I think there, there are so many angles that you can uh, tackle this question with. But I would also just like to point out that um, a lot of things consume a lot of, a lot of energy and just fighting about that is kind of pointless. You can play energy police all day long. Um, if you just look at, at US household electric items that are just in standby mode, they also consume as much electricity as whole countries. And just the Christmas lighting alone every Christmas in the developed world, it takes up so much energy. So in, in general, it also boils down to the question of um, what do you consider wasted energy and whatnot? That's why I think the most helpful thing you can do is shift your perspective on that. And uh, as I said before, one of the first pieces I wrote is called Bitcoin's Energy Consumption, a Shift in Perspective. And uh, maybe a friend would, would like to read through that and maybe it can help uh, to shift his perspective on that a little bit. I would also point people to um, the work of Dan Held, who did a lot of this uh, energy police work, and he wrote a piece called uh, Proof of Work is Effective. And uh, there are a lot of links in there, as far as I remember, um, that can lead you to further resources there, to some reports and uh, further insights. Excellent. Thank you very much. Um, well, I, I'm sure that uh, we'll, we'll answer the question and we can dig around and I'll put some stuff in the show notes as well. Um, so, if I go back now to, to 21 lessons and um, I, I've been reading through it and listening to it again and picking some things out that um, I'd like to ask you to uh, expand on. Um, and one of like very early in, in the piece, uh, it's a great sentence. The heartbeat of the Bitcoin network will outlast all of ours. <laughs> and you go on to say, realizing the above changed me way more than the past blocks of the Bitcoin blockchain ever will. Could you just talk about that, you know, like this heartbeat of Bitcoin? Yeah, um, I think for me, one of the aha moments, I, I had several of those, but one of the aha moments was um, reading the stuff that Ralph Merkel wrote about Bitcoin. And he described Bitcoin as the first example of a new form of life. And uh, he described that Bitcoin lives and breathes on the internet and it lives because it can pay people to keep it alive and so on. And uh, I think it's just a beautiful way of, of describing Bitcoin. And I think it's also very accurate. And it has this very peculiar feature that it, it has a, a heartbeat of sorts. Like um, every 10 minutes, new blocks come in. And that's, that's what I see as the heartbeat of the Bitcoin network. That's what, the whole, what keeps the whole organism alive. And once you understand how, how all of that works together, like how the incentive system is set up, how the whole system is set up, how... Um, how the Bitcoin token uh, plays a role in securing the network, how, um, yeah, how, how the whole network pays miners to keep it alive and also yeah, pays us to use it and so on. Um, it, it, it's a, like an interesting 
perspective flip again where uh, it's 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 not you know i i don't i don't view it as there are a bunch of people that are building this bitcoin thing and keep it alive it's more the the other way around there now now we have this bitcoin thing and it's its own organism it's its own super super organism and um that's also one of the reasons why i think it's it will be almost impossible to stop you know it's 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 its own thing and um uh, as ralph Malko said it will keep um, paying us to keep it alive and uh that's also why i believe that its heartbeat will outlast all of ours <laughs> but it's deep <laughs> that's the uh yeah philosophy behind it as well and um th then you go on to say you know it changed your time preference and um your understanding of economics your political views and, and so much more and you know you, hell it's even changing people's diets uh, <laughs> if this all sounds crazy to you you're in good company all of this is crazy and yet it's happening so you know time preference is one of these things that um I've talked about before on other shows, but uh, how did um, like how did that change for you and your your political views and and changing people's diets? I'm not sure people <laughs> would understand, uh, <laughs> but I get it. I get it. <laughs> yeah, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners are uh, hardcore carnivores. Some of them eat only meat or mostly meat, and uh, I, I think you know they're it's 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 very hard at first to understand this connection, but I think the connection is that Bitcoin. It, it, uh, yeah, everything you assume what is true about the world, it, Bitcoin will turn it on its head in a way. <laughs> and, um, you know, there is also the saying that we, we have fiat money and we also have fiat food. So I think a lot of people just uh, don't believe in the traditional food pyramid anymore and in uh, what is the conventional wisdom in terms of like a, a grain-based diet or in the US, you know, most, uh, most things are uh, made from corn. <laughs> and I think a lot of people um, um, for that reason alone um, uh, went into the full carnivore mode. And there is a, a, a big overlap of hardcore Bitcoiners and hardcore carnivores. So I think that's, that's interesting because it, it obviously uh, changes uh, the lives of people in quite drastic ways and it, it was true for me as well like it it definitely changed um my political view of the world um so in in terms of um in terms of that bitcoin showed me that um some problems they're not solvable by central control. That's what most people I think um, that are farther to the left on the political spectrum would like to think that you can, if you, if you just ha would have like um, a benevolent dictator that knows it all and only has uh, the good for the people <laughs> as his highest priority that, ev that everything would just work out and work according to plan. And since I dove quite deeply into economics, I learned that this is just not the case. You you will you will never be able to um, allocate resources correctly. And uh, in essence, what I learned uh, from from Bitcoin in in that sense is that there are some problems in the world. Like there there are some systems that are just too complex. They have to they have to like you will have to find solutions for those problems organically and in a distributed fashion um in the in the way that markets do it for example as well they're not perfect by any means but uh just uh 
price mechanism, for example, and uh, everything that goes into pricing goods and services uh, is way more, like way smarter than any single individual. And I think the parallels to Bitcoin there are obvious. Yeah. Okay. And that leads nicely into um, the, the, the next topic that I picked out was uh, from your lesson eight, financial ignorance. Um, and like the paragraph to understand a new monetary system, you have to get acquainted with the old one. I began to realize very soon that the amount of financial education I enjoyed in the educational system was essentially zero. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny <laughs> how that is. Um, you don't really learn. I, I think at least like none of my friends or uh, none of my family uh, learned that as well. Uh, you don't, you don't really learn, learn what money is and um, how the financial system works and uh, why the way things are as they are and how it came to be. I mean, you, you learn some parts of it, maybe, maybe if you study history or maybe like if you study F uh, economics or monetary economics, but those are very niche subjects. I mean, um, we, we learn a lot of the basics in school, I would say in terms of mathematics and also languages and uh, maybe physics and some other things, maybe engineering, uh, but money is something we use daily and uh, which of course, you know, it, we, we have a lot of those sayings in society that money makes the world go around and stuff like that. And uh, money, time is money and uh, money buys you influence and power, but we learn very, very little about it. And um, I was actually surprised about what I learned because um, in hindsight now, it's, it's kind of um, almost transparent of what's broken and what's going on. <laughs> and it's really crazy to... Uh, think that uh, just a, a bunch of people uh, are in charge of the monetary policy and they rule like all of our lives because of it and uh, I think it's I think this this insight is slowly but very surely also creeping into the wider population I mean uh, just today I heard on the radio they were discussing uh, negative interest rates in Europe because all the banks are uh, starting to introduce negative interest rates now and now suddenly it's in the news all the german banks for example they are hoarding uh, money like crazy like they are hoarding cash bills because if they would use their own um, their own digital bank accounts then they would just lead money left and right because of negative interest rates and they themselves they just hoard cash now <laughs> and uh, i think all of that um, will become more apparent over time um, how broken the current system is and i think bitcoin is a very nice alternative to all of that yeah exactly i mean i've described it as like a hedge against the financial system which which is it's too expensive to ignore yeah oh man and could you like um just explain to uh the listeners what what you mean by uh the word fiat uh when you, you when you talked about the fiat money or a fiat diet for example yeah um fiat basically just means by decree and uh, it, it's it is just money because someone says it's money um it's it's basically latin for um, let it be so or <laughs> it is done <laughs> and um when we moved off the gold standard um uh, what used to be representative money so we had just banknotes that said okay with this banknote you can actually go to the bank and you get your gold coins or your silver coins so that they were gold and silver certificates but over the years they morphed into just those pieces of paper and everyone used them as if they were real money 
and which it wasn't it's was just pieces of paper and it still is and uh in 1971 like um <laughs> if listeners want to maybe go back to i think it was the third episode on your podcast with ben yeah. he has this very nice uh website what the fuck happened in 1971 and you can see it w with your own eyes there like um what what happened to to the world pretty much <laughs> when we um when we moved away from the gold standard and destroyed our money completely and uh um, from that point onwards, everything just kind of went to the wayside. And um, from 1971 onward, we only have this paper money, which, um, yeah, it 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 has n not the best monetary characteristics. Let's let's put it that way. And uh, that that's part of your 21 lessons as well that you learn. Um, you know, to and to yeah, like. I was, it's talking about inflation and, you know, it says one of my personal light bulb moments was the realization that issuing new currency, printing more money is completely different economic activity than all the other economic activities. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's kind of weird that we have, um, um, yeah, that the, the, the way the world works currently is that we have all those people doing their day-to-day -day jobs, um, producing actual value, building stuff for, um, um, yeah, putting services out there in the world to be enjoyed by other people. And uh, we have this different set of people that are in, in charge of uh, the modern monetary theory. <laughs> and, and they are just um, printing more money and deflating everyone else's, um, uh, everyone else's value that they accrued. And um, realizing that it shows you the inherent imbalance of the current system, I think, because you quite intuitively can understand what is called the cantillion effect, which basically means um, that when you inject new money into an existing system, like you have, I don't know, let's say you have um, a closed system of, uh, to keep it simple, $1,000, and you have one one a person that out of thin air prints an additional thousand dollars but hides it you know like it's it's not going into circulation at, at one like in one big splash but uh, you have this one person who secretly has uh, a little bit more money than everyone else <laughs> and it will take time for this new money to circulate and uh, this this time it takes for the new money to circulate this person is way way better off than everyone else and i think that's what what we're like that's in part what we are seeing um what is driving um yeah the the yeah, the the ninety nine percent and the one percent even further apart. Yeah, exactly. Which was um, you know, you know, WTF happened in nineteen seventy one. That the, the, their graphs, you know, they they highlight that so well. So it's just like stark. It's so obvious. Um, I hope people, uh, yeah, check it out. Um, okay, now fractional reserve madness. One of the, that was my favorite, um, <laughs> my favorite chapter, and. You know, you're writing brilliant. And it says, let me repeat the most important part. Banks can lend money that they don't actually have. <laughs> yeah, um, that was taken from uh, from a speech that Jodfrey uh, Plume gave in the European Parliament. And uh, mm. think of him, what, whatever you would like to think of him. But I think this speech, this, this rant was quite epic and excellent. 
and uh, he's just telling everyone that uh, they all don't really understand the concept of modern banking because all the banks are broke and they're just um, yeah uh, printing ever more money and lending lending money that that they don't have and uh, it's just if you if you look at at the inner workings of the system it's quite obvious that it can't go on forever you know it's it's surprising how how long it actually can go on this this kind of charade and it's also fun to to crunch the numbers a bit and um i i know in this chapter i have a a small example where you can see how this money multiplier effect actually work works and um that's actually what's happening in our banking system that people deposit money in the bank and uh, the, the banks they only they're required by law to keep a fraction but this fraction is only like two percent three percent four percent the rest of the money they can uh they, they can loan out again and then <laughs> once this money is generated people will run back to the bank and deposit it again and this cycle continues and so you can just take a hundred dollars and uh, blow it up to up to you know like four thousand five thousand dollars depending on the fractional reserve it's quite insane yeah it's madness and what what resources were you using when you when you're like teaching yourself the economics about uh, well austrian economics i assume um wh where were you turning to all, all all kinds of sources so it was a very uh, gradual process for me um i i learned a lot from from podcasts as well um i i read i don't know maybe like 100 books or so over the last five or six years and um, the Austrian economic books were really helpful in terms of um, modern monetary theory there is actually um, a, a lot just online that like the gist of it you can read most of it on Wikipedia actually and uh, gain a glimpse from there and, and go go deeper um, there is also um, there, there are a lot of official resources as, as well um, for example um for for the federal reserve federal reserve there are a lot of official resources unfortunately they stopped publishing a lot of the interesting numbers a couple of years ago but uh the official political institution institutions aren't too bad as well of um publishing this stuff i for example for gold and silver mine silver mining and uh the numbers um for for all the precious metals i think i got most of them from the u.s geological survey and stuff like that so i tried to use the best official sources that i could and i tried also to um yeah read as many high quality books as i could wow and so if we, if we move on from like uh, the, the 21 lessons, um, I'll let people go and um, read or, or listen to um, the guy Swan's uh, adaptation of that. Um, I, don't, I want to ask you a little bit about um, another piece that you wrote uh, about the gravity of Bitcoin and um, how it attracts or repels people. Could, could you just give us more insight into your thinking on, on that subject? Yeah, of course. Um, I... <laughs> I think it's it's noteworthy to point out that I I wrote that piece um, when uh, the whole huddling out debacle happened on on Twitter. Like it it was quite a it, it was a piece about um, the tribal nature of it all, and uh, it's my thoughts distilled about why there 
why there is such a thing as Bitcoin maximalists? And why do we also have for some other projects, people that seem to be in it um, with their heart and soul almost, you know, we, we have that even for the, for the shittiest projects, like for projects where, where you know that they're full on scams and you, you will have a group of people, not even the scammers that themselves, mind you, <laughs> that, that are in it fully and completely. And uh, the way I, th I see it, the way I um, describe it in this article is uh, as, as a sort of gravity. And I mean that in, um, in actually multiple ways, because I, I have this concept, I introduced this concept of an idea value feedback loop. And the way I see it, uh, Bitcoin and systems like it, they all work in the same way. And uh, I, I will just use Bitcoin as the example because everything else is, is a copy of it and works in the same way and the same, same ideas apply. But um, in, in essence, Bitcoin started with just an idea, you know? I mean, Satoshi, before he wrote the white paper, he wrote the code actually. But before he wrote the code, he was convinced of the idea that it, it, it can work, you know? So it all started from, from this one idea. And, and Satoshi was the first person who was convinced by this idea. And he, he actually wrote the code and he, he spun up the first node and ran it. And uh, it didn't take long. And the second person that was convinced by the idea was famously Hal Finney. And he joined the network and like he's downloaded the code and ran it and spun up a second node. And suddenly we have a network of nodes. So two nodes in that case. And those nodes were able to come to a consensus. And once, once the network reaches consensus, it, it enables uh, this sort of novel value transfer that we never had before. And so uh, a network consensus is what actually gives this whole thing value. And this reinforces the idea and it attracts more people and then more people download the code and uh, verify it and run the nodes and join the network. And the whole loopy nature of this thing comes apparent. And I think what's, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very simplistic view and it's more nuanced because um, it, for, for this whole thing to actually work, <laughs> you, you need to have a token which has value because the game theory is set up in a way that uh, it's only resistant to attacks if a lot of value um, goes into securing the network. And, um, but but uh, what I'm trying to get at is that this, this idea value feedback loop, it, it tends to attract people. And I think the most important part about it is that... Um, it, it attracts the people where the set of ideas that is embodied in the network overlaps with the people that get into it. And if it doesn't, it will change your ideas. You know, it will change the people. The network itself will not change. In uh, like for Bitcoin, that's that's very obvious, I think. And so, if if you're diametrically opposed to the ideas embodied in Bitcoin, then it will actually repel you. You know, you will find it so revolting <laughs> the idea of bitcoin that uh, you're a long way off of joining the network you will only um uh, rethink your ways and join at the way way later date when it's when it's necessary for you to do so and i think for what what repels most people is the fact that um it, it's just too difficult to understand and it's just so the, the way we think of money it's like i need a i need a coin or a piece of paper in my hand 
yeah, it's incredibly difficult to understand. I, I think um, it's still one of the most understood technologies like we ever had. It's, it's so incredibly difficult to understand. And um, again, I don't think anyone really understands it fully. I think there is a point where you can, where you just kind of get it. And um, that's, that's also mostly the point where people go all in. <laughs> Some people are crazy and do it before that. But uh, I, I think there, there is a point where you could just um, submit to Bitcoin. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, I don't think there, there is a way to, to understand everything and all the repercussions fully. But um, I, I'm, I'm always surprised that even if you're very, very primed to get into Bitcoin and understand Bitcoin, like... Um, even if you are, if if you're having a technology background, for example, and uh, and even got in touch, bought your first Bitcoin um, in the Mt. Gox days, for example, there 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 are a surprising number of people that just don't get it completely, and they will, um, you know, they they had like a close flyby with Bitcoin's gravity, and they got shut out again, and it will take another four or five years until they come back around, and then Bitcoin's gravity will finally capture them. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the reason I named the podcast Once Bitten, um, because um, it's a, a saying. Do, do you know the saying, Once Bitten? Yeah, I, I, I know it. I know it. How do you finish the saying? <laughs> I actually don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know how to finish it. But uh, okay, but so no, have, but the reason I ask the, the reason I ask similar saying in Germany. <laughs> right. So, but, but there's two. There's it's like a, a polarizing answer, and I think this is a great uh, analogy because, I, and I find it fifty-fifty. If I ask people, like you know, can you finish the saying once bitten? Fifty percent of people give me yeah, once bitten, twice shy. And ah. the other 50% that people give me, well, yeah, once bitten, forever smitten. <laughs> and it's like, damn, that is Bitcoin. Yeah, it's that's like, perfect. you know, because as you just um, described, like, you know, once bitten, twice shy. Yeah, you got in Mount Gox, you're flying high, then bam, it's gone. And like, you know, that, well, that was awful. I just lost yeah. you know, X amount of my X amount of my money. I'll never come back to that. Um, but once bitten, you know, it will come back to you. You might be twice shy, but if you do come back and look at it again, you will be forever smitten. And um, yeah, so I think that's perfect. That's that's perfect. That's exactly how it goes. And you can hear it. Um, I think everyone has heard that many times over. I think most people uh, that tell their own rabbit hole story, it's um, there. There are those people that. Um, caught the bug and and just understood it from the first minute almost you know it's like i read the white paper and uh, and everything made sense but i think that's only like 10 percent or so of bitcoiners i think the 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 more regular story is that uh you know i heard about bitcoin and i didn't think about it too much and i thought it could never work and then then i bought some but then i lost them you know or uh, or the exchange where i had them got hacked and so on and I, I think a lot of people need two or three or even more um touch points with bitcoin before they really fall down the rabbit hole and for me it was actually three or four different touch points that i i needed it was uh, I'm, a, I'm a slow learner i think <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I, well, it doesn't come across that way, believe me. Um, very, very, uh, very smart, very quick, very, uh, like your writing is brilliant. And um, considering you're writing that in, I mean, how many languages do you speak? 
Ah, only two actually. I tried to learn Spanish. Only but, two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. only only so many blocks in a day, so I, I had to give it up a bit. But you're a native German speaker. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but writing so eloquently in English. Um, another reason that that yes. guy that critiqued your your book needs to like, <laughs> get off his high horse. Um, you you brought up a good point there about there's probably very very few people out there that understand a hundred percent of Bitcoin if if any, because like we are talking like you've got to be some kind of crazy polymath. Maybe, maybe there are some, um, but how many people do you think out there a hundred percent understand the current banking financial system that, that we've all been born into? Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. That's, that's also kind of the point I'm, I'm trying to make um, also in the 21 lessons, because uh, I, I think complex systems, they, it just can't be understood by by any one person really you know like also uh, not a single market is un understood by one single person perfectly and also uh, in the austrian school a lot of people make the point that um the just the economy in general is also behaving like a, a, a living breathing being and um like it's a living system and i think bitcoin is the same way and i also think that's that's why nobody can really understand it, it um like also the, the sheer scope of it is insane you know like there are so many disciplines that uh, you need to have a deep understanding to to really get it and really understand it and uh, um it's it's also uh, really interesting to listen to a lot of core developers and and some of them they they don't have a very good grasp on economics for example and there there are many core developers also that say you know lightning lightning network i never looked into it you know i have no idea about lightning <laughs> and that's always funny to think about like the people closest to bitcoin that actually write the code and understand the code and there are so many aspects of bitcoin that uh, they had like yeah no contact yet let's put it that way and to give an analogy, uh, you know, I, I was in the financial markets for, for 18 years. Of, that was my previous career. And, you know, like I, for me, it was foreign exchange. But did that mean I knew everything about foreign exchange? No, absolutely not. There are massive gaping holes in my knowledge. But, you know, 18 years I spent in that field. But if you would have, if I'd have walked across the trading floor, if any, any person in any bank had, you know, the same thing, walked across the trading floor and like go to the, um, yeah, the equity desk, you're not going to know anything about it. You're just literally not going to know anything about how that equity market, you know, works or like the, the CDS, like the credit default swaps that blew up, um, you know, 2008. Nobody would have like, if you were, if you were in your niche, even though you're in this world of finance uh, and you're expected to know everything about investing and this and different markets and whatever else, it's not the case. Yeah, I think a lot of the, uh, like, the, I think the smartest Bitcoiners, they, they really understand that at a very deep level. And uh, uh, for example, Madodel, I think he's one of the smartest Bitcoiners around. <laughs> and mm -hmm. he popularized the saying, stay humble, stack sats. And yes. I think the, the first part is, is one of the, like, <laughs> it's equally important. You know, you, you need to remind yourself to stay humble because um, nobody really knows what this Bitcoin thing is. And um, historically, you know, um, Bitcoin is a harsh mistress. So if if you're <laughs> if you're um, if you if you think you know it all, and if you think you can trade it, for example, <laughs> successfully, um, it, it will teach you a lesson usually. Yeah, uh, and that brings us nicely nicely onto onto price because it's um, 
you know, it was a 10K day yesterday, oh, yeah. uh, which everybody, you know, Twitter lit up like a Christmas tree with uh, everybody posting uh, memes about um, 10K um, in dollar terms, US dollar terms, that is. And, um, you know, your thoughts, are, first of all, your thoughts around that, um, the price. And uh, then I want to move on to ask you about um, a tweet you put out about hyper Bitcoinization which um, I'd like for you to explain to the listeners. So first of all, the price, like, you know, what's significant about uh, $10,000 per Bitcoin? <laughs> yeah, the funny thing about Bitcoin is that on the one hand, I, I personally don't care about the price and it's also not, not really important, I would say. But on the other hand, it's, it's the main reason why everyone got in and it's the main reason why everyone is still in Bitcoin. And it's also a very, very essential, crucial part of the Bitcoin puzzle. Like if Bitcoin wouldn't have a price, wouldn't have any security, it, it, it just wouldn't work. The whole system wouldn't work. The whole system only works um, um, if, if you have a Bitcoin token that actually has a price and it, it is traded for real world value. And um, so, you know, that there are those two sides of the coin, uh, if you will. And um, I think people that focus on the price a lot, they are missing the big, bigger picture. And that's why I also like to not focus on the price. And um, I, I also have no interest in, in trading Bitcoin, for example, for, for that reason as well, because I think um, trading, it's also kind of missing the point, you know? Uh, and I, I think that's also the, the point of where you actually become a Bitcoiner in a way, maybe. <laughs> if, you, if you don't actually care about your dollar or euro or yen holdings, but you only care about how many sets you have and uh, trading sets, like trading the Bitcoins you actually have to make more Bitcoins, that's a very risky business. Uh, most people get burned. And um, personally, for example, I, I, don't have, I don't have a Bitcoin exit plan. You know, I don't, I don't plan on exiting the system. So the price... Of, of a Bitcoin is not that interesting for me. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure there will be a day where I will buy a house or something and uh, the other person will just accept Bitcoin. And I think this day will come uh, sooner than most people think. And houses have been traded for Bitcoin already. So the, arguably that day was already here. But I think it will um, just coincide with, with another financial crash that we are bound to be have in the next, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, pick your time horizon. I'm, I'm not an expert on, on those cycles, but I think everyone kind of knows and feels um, that the whole, um, yeah, macro landscape is, is primed for that and the whole financial system is um, prolonging the inevitable. And well, Bitcoin is, again, um, the alternative to the system. And once the old system I'm hesitant to say collapses because we will see how it goes. Maybe it will it won't be as drastic. Um, but you know, Bitcoin is neutral in that regard and here to stay. And uh, you will always be able to use it, I think. And um, so that's what I would like to focus on, and not the price per se, because dollars and euros and yen and all the other government shit coins, excuse my language, they're <laughs> not that interesting to me anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well put. And I think we are definitely aligned on that. And um, so for onto the hyper Bitcoinization, if, if you wouldn't mind um, just uh, like explaining to people what you, you know, like actually mean by that. And um, 
because your, your tweet is very, is great. Like, you know, I'm going to read it quickly. There is no way that the average person globally can afford to spend $10,000 for a Bitcoin. The time where an average person could afford a whole coin has long passed and it isn't coming back. Hyper Bitcoinization, we are living through it right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I said it a couple of times I already. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm actually very surprised. Uh, why, I, I have no idea why the tweet blew up so much. I think a lot of people, uh, um, like um, uh, I, I saw in re the responses, a lot of people got triggered because it, it can be read in a way that you actually have to buy a whole Bitcoin. That's not what I was trying to say at all. Right. But it, it, wasn't, uh, it was in response to... Um, Bitcoin macro and uh, he was saying that many smart and successful people don't believe in Bitcoin. The ignorance of the public is currently priced in and soon these people wake, will wake up. Once they do, the average person will no longer be able to afford one whole Bitcoin. And, and I read through that and I, it's also a nice tweet and a nice statement I, and I, I think he's right as well. But um, I just couldn't let it go because in my opinion, the average person was never able to afford the whole Bitcoin. <laughs> like the average person globally is, is quite poor. You, you don't have um, the technical capabilities uh, and, uh, and the excess capital to just you know, go online and, and buy a Bitcoin. Uh, the, the, the average person globally uh, pretty much struggles from, from day to day. And, and that, was, that was what I was trying to say. And in, in terms of hyper-Bitcoinization, um, I, I had a tweet quite a while ago um, where I said hyper-Bitcoinization, we're like 50% there and quote me on that. And that was a year ago almost, not even, uh, I think 10 months ago or so. And I, 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 still, I still believe that, you know, we're now 11 years in and I think it will, it will take another 10 years. Like when, when Bitcoin was 10 years old and it didn't fail. Um, and I, I think Bitcoin survived quite a few drastic things already but i also think that um relatively speaking we're still living in in peacetime in the, in the blockchain world i think um i'm i'm still surprised that uh um not a lot of hash power is um diverted into attacking other chains and double spending other chains we've only seen it a, a couple of times um like I don't even want to name them, but a, a couple of chains uh, were double spent and uh, the only people that actually suffer because of that are some traders and some exchanges. But uh, it's it's still, I, I wouldn't call it smooth sailing necessarily, but uh, Bitcoin was remarkably resilient. And I think we will, we will have um, government level shitcoinery going to start quite soon. And we are already seeing the first... Uh, papers and proposals in uh, regards to that we have the digital dollar initiative and we have um, the european central bank putting out the um, i think it's called Eurocoin or something like that um, all of that to me is cargo called technology so they are missing the point completely they have no idea <laughs> what the bigger picture of bitcoin is i mean maybe they do but uh, um, all the papers that the governments are putting out they're trying to do exactly the same thing having a, a digital fiat money but dressing it up with some um, yeah, double speak and with some propaganda and with some uh, yeah nice marketing terms, so that some people might might buy into it. But back to the hyper Bitcoinization idea, I think 
um, by the way, this this whole idea of hyperbitcoinization goes back to 2014. Uh, in the in the backlog of the Satoshi Nakamoto Institute, you can re read the article by Daniel Kravitz, I think, uh, who wrote about hyperbitcoinization. Uh, I think it was for the first time here, and uh, the article it it makes a comparison to hyperinflation so that's where, where the term comes from so uh, we all uh, like if we learned our history we know about um, countries where the where the government issued currency currency hyperinflates i mean it's it, it not only happened with government issued currencies you also have the uh, slave beats for example in africa like um if uh, um for <laughs> for one reason or another uh, someone else is able to produce the currency you use <laughs> then you're having a bad time as well and uh, he makes the argument that there will be a point in time where um, hyperbitcoinization will just disrupt everything else um, that bitcoin will continue to grow and and that it also will happen very very quickly and and i think this assessment is correct and um, the, the reason why i think that is that Bitcoin is an exponential technology and it's a network and uh, we've also seen it historically grow exponentially and I think this exponential trend will continue. And exponential trends are very tricky because if you zoom into exponential trends, most exponential trends, especially um, those driven by technology, there are actually multiple S-curves. So it's S-curves all the way down. You have, <laughs> you have uh, one adoption cycle or one new innovation and you have like a quick exponential burst and then it you have, you have a blow off again and it, it settles down a bit and then you have the next exponential s-curve and if you zoom out far enough it looks like one big exponential s-curve and i think the same will be true for hyper bitcoinization and i think we're in this process right now and the the very end of the process is um, everyone is under the hood <laughs> using Bitcoin. And I like to compare it to the internet, for example. Like every, everything we do online, it all uses the internet at, at its base. It all uses packet switching. It all uses the same protocols. It all uses TCP IP. And um, everything is built on top of that. And I think for, for, the, uh, for the, the economy of the future, it, it will be the same situation, but not for information, but for value. And I think the underlying protocol will be Bitcoin. Um, what, what you're just uh, laying out there, hyper-Bitcoinization, you know, more people coming to the market to, to try and you know, buy themselves some, some Bitcoin, some, I mean, it just leads one way for the price. That, that there's, no other, there's no other way to look at it than number go up. Yeah, the, in Bitcoin, the only thing that can move is price. So it's 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 really easy to understand. <laughs> um, the supply is finite, and uh, also block space is finite. Like the capacity of the of the base layer is is very uh, scarce as well. It's it's very finite, and um, I think we will see another mania like we we have seen in two thousand seventeen. I actually think two thousand seventeen was only. Uh, a, a warm-up run in a way because i think in 2017 um most of the fomo generated was by by individuals um it, it was just people that had uh, a little bit of money left over and they were trying to get rich very quickly and they just threw their money into bitcoin and then into uh and many many other <laughs> coins <laughs> that are now uh, basically worthless in bitcoin terms and i 
I also believe um, that uh, all the other coins will trend to zero over the long run in Bitcoin terms. Uh, I think um, this assessment is correct. And I, I'm, um, I'm also a monetary maximalist. If you look uh, into history and uh, how um, bimetallism developed, for example, uh, I think that's, that's quite obvious that if, if you have a free market uh, for monies, then one money tends to rule them all if if it is good enough and i think bitcoin's characteristics are not only good enough they're they're quite excellent and i urge everyone to to read the bullish case for bitcoin which goes into detail in in that regard i think it's still one of the best articles describing bitcoin uh, bitcoin and the bullish case for bitcoin as a whole and i i think what what will happen next is that we will see way bigger non individual level FOMO, like state level FOMO. And uh, if, if you look at very, uh, like <laughs> very wealthy individuals or uh, hedge funds and stuff like that, if they, if they start to make bigger moves into Bitcoin, um, I think now they're making it very gradually, very, very um, small, small moves, very small allocations. There's, there are some fonts uh, where you have very tiny sub one percentage um, positions in Bitcoin maybe. But if if the the really big money will start to flow into Bitcoin, I think we will have um, rallies that that are beyond belief because there is just so little Bitcoin to go around, and you have so many people that are pretty much not selling, and you have so much Bitcoin also that is lost or locked up. And um, I I think it's it's gonna get wild, and that's also why I think that it will only take like. 10 more years, something like that. And uh, I, I think things will get way crazier, way more quickly than, than most people think. And I, <laughs> surprisingly, a lot of Bitcoiners kind of disagree. Uh, many people think that it will take like 50 years or something like that. But I tend to be hyper bullish. And uh, if, if you don't believe me, because maybe I'm, I'm, I'm too young or too, uh, <laughs> have, have no idea what I'm talking about in terms of financial markets. Um, Bitcoin Tina, I think, uh, tends to agree with me. And uh, he's twice my senior, I think, I think, and has a lot of experience in the financial markets. As does, you know, people like um, Plan B, who, um, you know, talked about the stock to flow ratio, um, you know, like a lifelong financial um, industry professional, Raul Powell as well. Um, yeah, these are these are big names. Dan Tapiero, Dan Moorhead, the, these big names in like the hedge fund um, area. But you know, I think what we'd both like to see is before that big money does come in, hyper Bitcoinization take place with uh, the FOMO of like you know just the, as we were talking about the normal average people and coming. I hope this time around that they understand that it, it, the price isn't the barrier um, to entry and the there are so many different ways you can do it now, whether it's an exchange or an app um, or, or a wallet that's linked to an exchange somehow. Um, and that you can, you don't have to spend $10,000 and it can just be bought in fractional amounts. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? So people that are coming into the space, people that are looking to invest in this, um, you know, how can we drive this point home that yes, you can invest in it. It is for you. And it's not, you know, this huge expense. It's not just the sticker price. Yeah, sure. I mean, I can talk about that uh, to a great extent because there are, there are many great services that you can use and uh, there are many ideas around it. Uh, but before I go into that, I'd, I'd like to 
point out also in terms of hyperbitcoinization why I chose the 10-year time horizon last year. So it's it's uh, nine years starting with 2020. So 2029 is my cutoff date. And you mentioned Plan B, and Plan B has this very nice stock-to-flow model. And the reason why I chose that date and the reason why I th why I uh, was convinced a couple of months ago. I'm still convinced, but I, I was convinced enough to go public with that idea that we're 50% into hyperbitcoinization. Nobody just can't see it yet because it's an exponential process. Is that we only had two halvings um, up to now in Bitcoin, and halvings are very interesting events because the new supply that's coming into the system will be cut in half, and uh, this has obvious um, repercussions in terms of stock to flow and in terms of the markets and in terms of um, also uh, miners because they have a constant sell pressure and stuff like that. And uh, in the next nine years, we will have three halvings. So the one that's coming up now, 2020, then we'll have um, 2024 and 2028. And um, if you look at the supply schedule of, of Bitcoin, I think it's interesting to have a quick look where we are now. So now in February 2020, 86.72% of Bitcoin has been mined. And uh, that's quite a lot already. So there's, there's not a lot of, of new Bitcoin coming in, given that um, Bitcoin is so young still. And in, in 2028, we will have 96.88% uh, mined so almost 97 percent of all the bitcoins that will ever be in existence will be mined in 2028 and i think it's it's useful to look at those numbers because that's that's only eight years from now you know <laughs> and historically um it will um take a couple of months or maybe half a year maybe a year for the dust of the halvings to settle and we will have three more halvings uh, in in the next nine years, as as I said before. And so that's so my even though my uh, hyperbitcoinization ideas are um, mostly based on on uh, a kind of a gut feeling by working with exponential technologies all my life and studying them uh, more or less all my life. Um, I I have some some numbers to to back this up. And granted, there are still some open questions. We will see how. Uh, plan B's model will hold and if it will hold um, over the course of the next halving or over the course of the next one or two years or something like that and we will also need to see a fee market develop and stuff like that but I'm I'm not too worried about that so I, I, I hope I hope it was okay to <laughs> take a couple of uh, minutes to talk uh, more about hyperbitcanization but um, to answer your actual question in regards to buying fractions of a bitcoin and what you can what you can do um, to onboard newbies and to get more people into Bitcoin. I, I think every, every little bit, like every little thing helps. If you just help someone to understand Bitcoin a little bit better, that already helps. If you help someone to set up a wallet and give them a couple of Satoshis, um, this, this helps as well. I think everyone or almost everyone listening to this will know that one Satoshi is uh, 100 millionth one one hundred millionth of a of a bitcoin, so it's a very tiny amount, and uh, like it's a sub cent sub uh, fraction, and uh, so you don't need ten thousand dollars to get into bitcoin. <laughs> you can just take a couple of dollars and get into bitcoin. And uh, there uh, there are even some services that make it very easy to earn your first uh, couple of satoshis. There are some cashback services uh, where you can. 
just shop online and you will get a couple of satoshis um there are also social tipping services like uh on on twitter tipping me for example is is used a lot and um there used to be bottle pay but they had to shut shut down recently but i i think they will relaunch in the next couple of weeks or in the next couple of months so there there are ways to just receive a fraction of a bitcoin and um i think getting into bitcoin uh, as i also said in 21 lessons is it's a very personal and very long journey so potentially very long journey and i think all those little baby steps help and uh, also i think the the best onboarding mechanisms um, currently are just getting people to set up a mobile wallet you don't even have to get into the security aspect of it straight away on most wallets you can just uh, set up and use very very quickly and just uh, send them a couple hundred of satoshis and uh, just show them how you can feed the chickens over the lightning network for example <laughs> yeah brilliant thank you very much and like what what you finished on with hyper bitcoinization there like um that that 97% number by 2029 is blowing me away that's just um and what what percent do you think has been been lost or is locked up like uh, satoshi has a million coins locked up right which <laughs> we're never going to see yeah, um, there are actually quite a few uh, really good research pieces about it. So there are some coins that are provably lost. There are not too many. There are a couple tens or tens of thousands or maybe hundred thousand coins provably lost where you can really say, okay, those people provably uh, burned their private keys and uh, they really destroyed their bitcoins. You know, there are ways to do that. But the estimates of how many people, uh, how many bitcoins are actually lost, they range in the three to four million as, as far as I know. So uh, we shouldn't actually be talking about 21 million. More accurate would be probably like 17 million, something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, that's. It's it's a nice discussion to have as well because um, you can make the argument that people will continue to lose Bitcoin, uh, and uh, so it, it's it's arguably, um, yeah, a deflationary currency in that sense. But I I think it will happen less and less, and you can also um, um, you can also see that by how much was lost and also how much was hacked over the years. Um, the amounts get smaller and smaller since people uh, just in general have less and less Bitcoin uh, per, per person and uh, people get better and better with the security. So um, it's, it's not too much Bitcoin that is, that is lost currently. And I think with um, the advancement of, uh, for example, multi-signature setups and other mechanisms um, to recover your, your Bitcoin like that are more fault tolerant where you lose, if you lose one private key or lose one hardware wallet where you don't have a backup of uh, where you can still do a key rotation and get access to your funds that way again um, I, th I think we will um, yeah see people losing bitcoin less and less yeah which is you know critical and an another layer of the onion where there's so much <laughs> work going on in um, in helping people you know store and th their private keys um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I'll try and uh, wrap it up because we've been babbling for over an hour. Sorry to, to keep you so long. No um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, uh, like the first resource on your website is of course the white paper. Now I've, I've read it before. Um, how, how dry is this? Would you say for, for, for noobs coming in to, to pick that up? Is it something 
you seem to be very <laughs> mathematically minded, uh, numbers driven. Um, you, you mentioned there that uh, you spent uh, many years. Um, what was what was the term you used? Uh, extrapolation. Uh, uh, oh, exponential it, technologies. I studied exponential technologies before I came into Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, what is that exactly? <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, Pretty much almost everything that has to do with technology. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a computer scientist by training, so I studied computer science and I was a researcher for many years. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a programmer at heart as well. Uh, I've worked as a software engineer for the last almost 15 years, something like that. Um, and uh, I, yeah, I, are you familiar with the ideas of the technological singularity? So there, because there is a lot. Uh, no, no, please, okay. please, please, <laughs> please, 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 can you educate us that's, all? <laughs> that's, that's a very separate uh, rabbit hole. But basically, um, uh, the idea is that uh, everything that has to do with, uh, with information technology, um, like uh, storage media, uh, computers in general, like, uh, like processing units, um, CPUs, and you can, also, you, you can see it all across the board, like uh, how our bandwidth increases, how displays got better, um, um, like everything that uh, um, doubles in price performance. And you, you also see it with um, biotechnology, nanotechnology, material sciences. Um, there, there are like DNA sequencing, for example, is a very good example. Um, there are a lot of technologies that, that follow an exponential price performance curve. And um, all of those are extremely interesting because um, uh, it, for the longest time, it seems like nothing is happening at all. Like there's no progress going on. And then suddenly it's everywhere. And it used to be like that with computers, like with personal computers and with smartphones and with the internet and, you know, with telephones and, and stuff like that. And, and um, if you study these technologies and if you study the history of it, you can see that all of those um, cycles, they get shorter and shorter. Like it, it took uh, maybe a hundred years for uh, landlines to be laid everywhere. Uh, but for like, Two billion people to have Facebook, not so long anymore. You know, <laughs> it's uh, um, it, all all of those technologies uh, build up on each other, and uh, basically, I, I I don't want to get too deeply into it because it's it's a separate rabbit hole and another can of worms. But the idea of the, the technological singularity is basically that technology will get so advanced that um, you can't even comprehend what's going on anymore because you will have something like runaway technology. And the obvious example of it would be a, a general artificial intelligence, um, something a computer that is so smart that it can improve itself. And since they work way faster than we do, they can improve themselves way faster than we do. And uh, then you have a runaway effect uh, where people can't catch up anymore and <laughs> things will get very weird very quickly. Um, I, I, um, I don't have any further comments on that, actually. I just think that it's extremely useful to study exponential technologies to understand Bitcoin and uh, the potential of Bitcoin. Right, okay, yeah, definitely. <laughs> that, that's another podcast right there. I'm, I'm booking yeah. you right now. Um, <laughs> so, so back to the white paper. For, for like the average guy, the average Joe, is it written in layman's terms? Can anybody just, um, I, I know it's not uh, this huge tome. It's like, I think you said like eight sheets long or something, eight pages. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I think uh, I, I put it in there. Um, it's not necessarily the first thing you should read. Um, it's, uh, uh, I think I, I wrote that I encourage everyone to, to have at least have a look at it. Uh, I think um, the best article to read is the bullish case for Bitcoin. And if you're only reading one book, I think the Bitcoin standard is, is the best one. And I, uh, I think I pointed out on, on the Bitcoin resources as well. But the white paper, I, I think it's, um, it's, it's interesting to just just look at it and scroll through it and it's 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 only like eight eight pages long and if you remove uh, some of the numbers and some of the um the mathematical formulas then it's it's maybe only like six pages and you can you can easily read it you can not necessarily understand everything but but i think it's um i mean depending on your background you know, <laughs> if if you study computer science i think it's perfectly easy to understand it's not um, I think the, the beauty of Bitcoin is also, and, and the, the genius of Satoshi as well, um, nothing necessarily completely new was, was invented. Like not, he, he took a, a lot of, uh, of pieces and, and put it together in, in this beautiful, weird, like 3D-like puzzle. <laughs> and it, it only really works, you know, like it's one of those puzzle globes, like those spherical puzzles, and they only hold together if, if you put the last piece in. And uh, before that, you're screwed. And that's pretty much, that's how I see, <laughs> that's how I see it. That's what Satoshi did. He took a lot of uh, existing concepts already and glued them together in a weird way using game theoretical incentives so that everything just works. And the white paper is just nice to 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 look at and remind yourself that everything pretty much everything started from this like eight page document which is mind-blowing excellent thanks for the answer and um for, for the resources um can i add one you you sure. might already, you might already be uh, aware of it but have you have you read why buy bitcoin by andy edstrom it's on my list, actually. I haven't it's on read there, it yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I heard I heard good things of it, so uh, I look. I'm looking forward to reading it. Oh, it's on your list to read, but not on your list of resources as yet. Yeah, I only put uh, stuff on the Bitcoin resources that I actually uh, read myself, and right. I can I can vouch for. So that's that's my current setup. I I tried a couple of months ago to. Uh, distribute this process more and I try to get some more people on board um, so if, if someone wants to to contribute and join the Bitcoin resources club it's actually an open source project and we have a, a small uh, community on on telegram but uh, it, it turns out that um, it's it's very hard to get this off the ground since it's still kind of my my pet project <laughs> Okay. Well, if, if anyone's listening and uh, want to help out, um, I'll get that address for me. I'll join it and um, we'll, we'll see if we can get more people in there and, and helping you. But um, well, I, you know, I look forward to reading that book. Um, you know, I, I'm all, almost through it now. And what's interesting is it's written from the perspective of you know, um, a fiduciary, uh, somebody that is advising people professionally now to to, to invest some of their wealth in Bitcoin. And, um, you know, he's, mm -hmm. he's laid it out in such a fashion that how, how he like presents it to his, um, his clients. Um, and it just makes a lot of sense. It's very easy to read and, um, you know, a lot of, uh, truth bombs in there. Um, yeah, that's awesome. As, as I said in the beginning, I think the more people, uh, um, the, the more people that get into it, the better, the more people, the more uh, different perspectives you have, um, the better it is. And I, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people from the finance and investing world have a lot of useful things to say about Bitcoin. And they, they for sure think about it very differently than I, as a 
computer scientists, for example, would do. And uh, you, you said before that you've listened to uh, the podcast that I've put out before. So you, you, I'm sure you, you expect what's coming with the last question. Um, <laughs> what, uh, if, if, if you could name one person to come out and uh, start talking about or tweeting about um, Bitcoin to reach uh, a much wider audience than you and I could ever dream of, um, you know, of, of the kind of demographic that you want to hit as well, um, who do you think that person is? <laughs> <laughs> I, I I heard this question now uh, four times, and I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I um, you know, the first time I heard it, the the, the first person that popped in, into my head would would have been Bill Gates, but uh, that's not actually my answer because the the person that actually popped into my head right now would be the Pope, and that would be awesome. Like if wow. the Pope gave a speech, <laughs> because I think I think he uh, he recently spoke about uh, the ills of the financial system as well, and. Uh, it would be awesome to just have <laughs> having come out as a full-blown Bitcoin maximalist and, and just stretch his arms and <laughs> have some godly influence. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> That's a great question. That's a great answer. Excuse me. Great answer. I mean, I I don't know. I'm gonna have to check if the Pope's on Twitter and just get this retweeted. And that. <laughs> well. Um, Dojiji, uh, thank you so much for your for your time. Um, is there anything else that um, that you want to leave with? Um, I, I think we covered where people can find you at Dojiji on um, on Twitter. Um, anything like final closing thoughts? Anything you you, you want to ask or, or, or say? Or? Yeah, um, as, as final thoughts, um, I think. Uh, so first of all, um, uh, again, thanks, thanks for having me, and and I, I had a uh, I had a great time, and I think you're doing a really great uh, job with the podcast, and I think um, it it will be very useful for for new people that get into it. Um, I think the the one thing that I would like to to tell everyone who is listening to that is that don't be too harsh on yourself and just take your time you know all, all of it is all of it's confusing <laughs> nobody knows anything <laughs> and it, it will just uh, take a lot of time to wrap your head around it and um i i saw it so many people like i, I saw it so many times that people who got burned out people lost all their money um people uh, followed the wrong people and followed the the, the yeah just followed the wrong people and lost all their money that way and just take it slowly um don't gamble away all your money i think the best the best way to get into it is just get your feet wet a little bit and just start stacking sets i i, I know you you talked about that before as well but just uh, you know maybe you have a bad habit that you want to kick and give up smoking and just take take that money and just start stacking sets and uh, get, get your hands on on a fraction of a bitcoin and start that way Perfect, perfect, perfect advice. Um, please, anybody listening, um, take that advice on. Take um, take everything that uh, DGG has said here and uh, go away, learn a little bit more. I hope the, uh, the podcast uh, has been um, educational. So uh, thanks again. Thanks for having me. Well, I uh, hope you guys uh, enjoyed that uh, interview with Dergigi, uh, Dergigi, however, uh, however you pronounce the pseudonym. Um, I took away a lot from the interview. Uh, he, I already learned a great deal from his 21 lessons. Again, I urge anybody to go and, uh, and read that. 
and um, fall into the rabbit hole with him. Go and check out his resources. Um, I've got everything in the show notes where you can uh, go and um, find him and connect with him and, and learn more from him. And um, like he's collected this this huge array of resources. You can go to his website and just pick and choose the books that uh, have taught him and how he's learned on this uh, on this journey uh he also reached out to me after the podcast to add uh, a few more uh, links to kind of tackle the the argument around um bitcoin being bad for the environment he, he felt he didn't really portray that in, in the best way that he could in in the spoken interview so please check the show notes uh, especially you alan if you've made it this far in it was your question uh, there's uh, there's plenty more resources there, and he points us towards um, some more blog posts, which completely smash the argument about Bitcoin being bad for the environment. So definitely check that out. There's some work there from Parker Lewis at Unchained Capital, um, and, and plenty more stuff for you. There's like three or four extra things that uh, he's included. Reach out to me anytime, Princey at 9076 on uh, on the Twitters. Like I keep promising, I am going to get a website up and running and uh, like a dedicated email to the podcast. It seems to be gaining some kind of traction. I've got some really amazing guests coming up. I can't wait to interview them and share their knowledge with you guys. Uh, if you can support the show in any way, um, the best way to do it is just is just share it and uh, leave a review somewhere wherever you're listening. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And um, yeah, have a great uh, morning, afternoon or, or night, wherever you are. Take care. Thank you very much.